Hey everyone, welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. Every week, four to six of us get together and discuss a movie. At the end of the episode, we announce the movie for the following week. All movies are available from streaming services, either as part of your subscription or to rent. Thanks for listening. Now, on with the show. Welcome to the Deeply Discussing Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Dale Maxfield. I am joined by Alicia Walker. Hello. Brooke Barrett. Hi. Josh Dean. Hello. Nathan McKinney. Hello. And Zach Rowland. Hey. And today we are discussing Brooke's suggestion, The Florida Project from 2017. I think everyone has seen that movie before, but we all liked it, so we watched it again. Uh, and uh, first we're going to talk about what we've been watching lately, um, apart from me, because everybody knows what I've been watching lately. Brooke, how about you? <laughs> what have you been watching? Oh, thank God we're not talking about 90 Day Fiance again. Uh, so I just finished <laughs> I... Happily Ever After Season 4. Um, <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> Led you right into it. Um, so I watched the Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. Uh, good, good, ridiculous fun. It's a choose-your-own-ending kind of thing. Uh, completely idiotic and wonderful. You can't watch that and be in a bad mood. So that was a good choice for current times. I also started um, The Great, which is a new Hulu show. A comedy about Catherine the Great, which is an odd uh, statement. It's very, very similar to the movie The Favorite. Uh, very, oh, very okay. similar in tone, production design. Uh, it's it's funnier than you would expect. It's uh, one of the Fannings. L Fanning, I had to think, which was the younger. Uh, hmm. I recommend it. It's pretty good. I'm only, I'm not very far in, but so far I'm willing to recommend that one. How many times did you kill John Hamm? <laughs> uh i went through all the kill scenarios immediately so yeah if you <laughs> i killed him all three times yeah i went through all the kill scenarios i knew that was going to be wrong but that's what you want to see stomping him i was think my we technically killed him choice. four times because he died in prison once yes oh yeah, I, I did, did. i forgot i did see him die in prison too i did that because i wa- i went through it twice like in the same night, I'm like, all right, we're doing this again. Let's see how many times we can kill John Hamm. I'll probably I, watch uh, it two more I times. I was actually, I I was on the show uh, the first season as background uh, for the court um, episodes, but John Hamm wasn't there that day. It was just Tina Fey. And this was before anybody knew who was cast in sort of what roles and whatnot. I and watching the show for the first time, uh, looking for like the scene that I was in, not knowing that John Hamm was the guy, was like such a shock to me because we had no idea on set that day who they were talking about. And like, had he been there, it would have been a joy. But also, it was like such a revelation to sort of have like insight to it before it came out. Um, mm. So it's funny now that everybody's talking about killing John Hamm, and I was like, I never even got to meet him. <laughs> And just think, if you had stuck around, there could have been a killing Zach portion of the Choose Your Own Adventure. <laughs> I know. Yep. Well, Zach, you died on uh, SVU, didn't you? Yes. Yes. I was a, dr- a dead drug dealer on season, I believe, season 18, episode <laughs> 17. Um, Brian Marks, the deceased drug dealer. His picture's yeah, on a wall very prominently in that episode. 
<laughs> yeah. It's like me, Mariska Hargitay, and then there's like one other really well-known actor as well that's in this. Like, yeah. Guys, it's my that's my claim to fame other than Bridge of Spies, which I think I might have us watch because I have to talk about <laughs> which it. Which may be the worst movie <laughs> you've been in. What? Dale is no! looking forward to that. He loves Ouch. Bridge of Spies. Who's looking forward to that? I love Bridge of Spies. <laughs> you are. I remember you're a big fan of Bridge yeah. of Spies. Every time Zach has ever brought it up, it's it's been immediate. Your, well, because what's <laughs> your hilarious about response. that is that so I knew Zach was in it um, before it came out, and it was one of the movies that was in the period where we reviewed everything that came out in the theaters, and I watched it and hated it, and Zach went like another year before he even saw it. So he was just like, <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen it, but. Sure, it's probably bad. I don't know. It's like, well, you're, I mean, you are prominently shown, and he's in the trailer for it, too. Yeah. So. Yeah. Made the Oscars, too. The Oscar oh. cut. Yeah. But uh, terrible. I did movie. enjoy it, though. Wow, man. That's uh, fine. You <laughs> hate it. I mean, you're much. in a Steven Spielberg movie. I'll save everyone movie, we discuss so. it. Yeah, he directed me. It was great. It's one of the best points of my life. Just in service so of so much mediocrity. <laughs> <laughs> Could be the story of so many lives. Uh, so true. <laughs> so I was watching 90 Day Fiance. <laughs> so Josh. Oh, no. uh, <laughs> how far have we all fallen at this point? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you want to talk about mediocrity. <laughs> let's, let's go straight for the trash. I've actually considered to watching it i like i kind of want to see this train wreck now you you've pushed me to the edge dale and i'm ready before i'm ready to jump before the 90 days that's that's the good stuff <laughs> there's four seasons of it the fourth season is like the most talked about it's why it's in the zeitgeist it's why i heard about it i haven't watched that season yet um, but the first three seasons are just <laughs> mwah, chef's kiss, and I'm saving season four for a rainy day when I just really need it. So, All right? Yeah, I'll admit I watched a um, a YouTube video with a lawyer breaking down the 90 day fiance like uh, rules the visa and process. Yeah, yeah. Um, it did not make me want to watch the show any anymore, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh, I could see. I guess its appeal, maybe like Tiger King. I don't know. Anyway, uh, yeah, Brooke took mine. I, I saw the Kimmy Schmidt movie and uh, played it a couple of times. Played the movie a couple of times um, and uh, enjoyed that quite a bit. Uh, I also watched uh, Extraction, the Hemsworth action movie um, mm-hmm. that's on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, I was not expecting much, and it's a really by-the-numbers action movie plot, but um, some really uh, exciting scenes in it. Um, the Russo brothers wrote it, and yeah. they gave it to a stuntman from the Captain America movies to direct. It's his first movie directing. Um, and so the stunt work is amazing in it. Well, um, Chris Hemsworth and Tessa Thompson, right? No, Tessa Thompson. That's Men in Black, you're thinking. Um, no, no. Uh, yeah, Tessa Thompson's not in it. Um, uh, what's his name? David Harbour is in it. Okay. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's uh, there. there's a scene in it. 
uh, where Hemsworth has to confront a gang of children who are trying to kill him. And uh, that's worth the price of admission alone to see Thor just beating up a 10-year-old. Um, that sounds uh, like the Florida Project. A little bit. It, 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 was, it was not dissimilar. Yeah. Did I watch the wrong Florida Project? <laughs> There's always, it's never too late for Hemsworth. So, yeah. That was my weekend. Cool. Zach, how about you? Uh, let's see. Let's see. Let's see. Um, I uh, I would like to talk real quick, just briefly, about two garbage reality TV shows or competition shows that might be, uh, be comparable to 90 Day Fiance. Uh, Top Chef. Not it's not garbage. I think Top Chef's you know pretty widely accepted as a good show. Um, yeah, you know, I like the Chef shows, Master Chef, anything that's like cooking related. So, yeah, I watch all the Gordon um, Ramsay ones. They got a, yeah, I love Gordon Ramsay. It's pretty good content for the most part. So Top Chef's uh, in its season right now, uh, whatever number it is, and that's been pretty good. Uh, the Masked Singer. I don't know why I got addicted to The Masked Singer, but I just can't turn away. Although I will say that this season has gone on too long, and I'm ready to just be done. Like, they've had way too many people, way too many episodes. It started when the Super Bowl, the night of the Super Bowl, yeah. which is February 2nd. Wow. And it's still going. Yeah, too many celebrities. It's crazy in masks. Zach, I confess, um, I too watch Mask Singer. I watch every episode. I agree, it's gone on too long, <laughs> but I watch it and I get into it. The only thing I've ever yeah, watched exactly. from it, uh, I posted on Facebook with the my my caption was "We're all gonna die," which was uh, <laughs> Sarah Palin singing "Baby Got Back." Yeah. Oh God. Oh. That was yeah. a highlight. I sure. cannot imagine how bad oh. that is. Well, that that sells yeah. it right. And everybody there. thought every yeah, and everybody thought it was Tina Fey because it was like she's uh, she's that good at doing herself yeah. an impression of herself that everybody thought it was Tina Fey. Um, what I really want to talk about what I watched though is that my wife watched Snowpiercer for the first time all the way through. She'd seen snippets mm-hmm. and I had seen it before and I just love that movie. It is nonstop awesome for me. And uh, I we watched it because the show premiered on TNT on Sunday night. And uh, so the movie was great. I think my wife really enjoyed it. I loved rewatching it. There were moments where I was like gripping like the side of the couch because I'm just like the part where he goes up to the with the guys with the axes and shit in the car where, oh, it's just insane good. Um, I love Snowpiercer. Love it, love it, love it. And um, the show is really good. I'm very impressed with their ability to, so far in the first episode, pull me into not only the story, uh, but the characters and uh, and what I think you know could be a really interesting concept for a prequel, but it's a prequel that does not exist in the same world as the movie. And I'm glad that they tell you that in the first episode because I am one of those people that will go to no ends looking for connections if you don't tell me that it doesn't exist in the same world as something else. Um, so... I'm off to the races with it. It's it's really fun, and uh, if anybody else likes Snowpiercer, I highly recommend getting into the show. Alicia, how about you? Well, I think uh, I've been watching a lot of the TV shows I've been following uh, over the weeks, so I still watch Top Chef too. So I was watching that, and uh, I've been watching Run on HBO, which is still pretty good, and Mrs. America on Hulu, and I've been enjoying those and. 
Uh, we've been watching John Oliver, too, do the broadcast from his white void, and that's been a lot of fun. Um, I think really movie-wise, the only thing new I've watched that Nathan and I watched together this week, well, he'll probably talk about one, but uh, I watched a doc I'd been wanting to watch for a long time, uh, Obit. I don't know if you guys have seen that one about the New York Times obituary writers. Uh, the you know for the for the section of the New York Times, it's very competitive. I guess sometimes who gets hmm. into the New York Times obituary section. Yeah. So it was a documentary about that uh, those writers about the history of that. I guess you'd say department of the New York Times and kind of their whole vault of files on different people over uh, the ages and you know how how does one get into the New York Times obit section? And they also talked about some of the really interesting stories about people you might know nothing about that uh, have been featured over the years. So it was, I thought it was pretty good. Where did you yeah, find the most that fascinating one? part about the, it was on Canopy. Oh, yeah, okay. it's it's you can it was free on Canopy with your uh, library membership, but you can also find it on Amazon and some other places. You'll just have to pay for it there. I think the most fascinating part about that movie for me was uh, all the scenes in the morgue that they called it on. The, I mean, so. As a art director type person, I know a morgue file is a long file you pull out. Well, they have all the old content from the New York Times stashed away in this giant, completely densely packed room. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, the inner Raiders of the Lost Ark, except in a very small, confined space. <laughs> right. Yeah. And the guy is pretty much one guy running it. And he's, if he goes no one's ever going to be able to find anything again but just them digging through those drawers and him pulling shit out and going i i found this thing and no one knew it existed but i thought we ought to print it and some interesting stuff in there well and the organization (laughs) method is so crucial there so that if one thing gets put back incorrectly if one thing is filed in the wrong place lost forever like nobody will know where that is yeah and as someone who's done like a uh content library management system in the past i totally appreciated how he said yeah there's this one file folder here of somebody thought maybe it was me that we ought to try a different way to sort all this stuff and it kind of got stopped dead in its tracks and the only person that knows what's in there is me and it's just so easy to lose content when you don't have it organized with the rest of everything else and um, anyways it was it was kind of fascinating yeah, I know they made a big deal recently about uh, with the pandemic that they like expanded the obituary section so that more New Yorkers could be listed in the New York Times. Hmm. That but, must uh, just be because there's been maybe so many high profile people that would have, you know, usually been featured in the New York Times, but they're not used to having that many pass away at once, I guess. I think it was just a respect thing about, you know everybody in the city kind of deserving out of the newsworthiness of what's going on. But uh, the documentary well, sounds it, interesting. It yeah. seems like there's a pretty big uptick on interesting people dying too. Yeah, but not necessarily pandemic related. I think it's just more like there's nothing else in the news. <laughs> and so it just right, seems like, well, true. there's no sports. They might, they got to fill those pages with something. Right. <laughs> but I mean, I don't feel like there's been like a huge number of like celebrity deaths over, you know, over any other period in time. So, so on my end, uh, Alicia had kind of like a 
dinner date with some friends and I kind of wasn't participating in that. So I ended up watching uh, a good chunk of uh, one of our various um, Criterion Blu-rays, um, Heaven's Gate, mm-hmm. Michael Semino. Yeah. I don't know if anybody's <laughs> watched that one. Um, what I, I'll be honest with you, what kind of slowed me down more than anything, because I didn't know a ton about the movie. I just heard it mentioned a lot. Um, but as I was watching it, I decided to peruse the trivia about it on IMDb and was kind of thrown back by it. I, I almost wish I just left it alone and just watched the movie and had my own opinion about it, then gone and read that. Uh, so for those that don't know, it's it's a huge, huge, one of the biggest flops in Hollywood history <laughs> for its ginormous budget versus how much they actually made. Uh, Michael Simino's the guy that directed Deer Hunter, um, and it was his attempted follow-up to that movie, I believe. And he just he had something in his contract that said he couldn't be penalized for going over budget, and he ran with it. Uh, <laughs> just about killed his own studio by doing it. If it hadn't been for a Bond movie that came out, it would not have uh, survived the the movie. Um, and then it's also infamously the movie that um, forced Peta to say. No, we really need people on set to make sure you don't torture yeah. animals or whatever. <laughs> so I read those two things, and I'm like, oh, this is not quite as appealing as it was at first when I started watching it. Um, but I was, I, I will say, the what I saw, I mean, just the cinematography alone is worth the price of admission. It's, it's really phenomenal. Yeah, got to break a few eggs to make those good movies, man. Yeah. It's just, I mean, there, there's a specific shot where Christopher Walken is shooting someone behind like a they're carving a cow up i think the cow was already dead i don't think that was part of the pita thing yeah but there's some settlers carving up a cow and christopher walken blows a hole through a um a a sheet or something but the cinematography of that and all the mountains behind him all the color it was just uh, i was just like wow this is one of the best shots i've seen in a movie in a long time yeah i mean because nothing bad ever happens around christopher walken like <laughs> right <laughs> nothing nothing terrible yeah, has ever on happened screen or him. off no <laughs> even cowbells you know can't get away from him <laughs> yeah oh the new meme is uh a picture of christopher walken from that sketch saying i have a fever and then it cutting to the band and they all have masks on <laughs> so uh yeah so yeah um there was a movie suggested we all watched it some of us again, I think most of us again, it was called the Florida project. Um, was this my, my first time? My first time. Okay, great. Okay, cool. I thought we were, yeah, I, I think last you time and you're most of us, I think last mm-hmm. time, uh, we might've had more people on it that had seen it. So cool. Um, Josh, what did you think about it? The first 10 or 15 minutes I didn't know if I was going to make it through the movie um, uh, I was exhausted by those kids like immediately uh, I luckily um, they grew on me over time um, I, Defoe his character Bobby I guess really um, grounded it for me because um, it was hard to find likable people in that movie Um but uh but by the end everybody was humanized and um like i you know understood the mom and i understood the 
everybody was coming from somewhere very um, understandable, if not uh, certainly not admirable at times, but um, you know, uh, tough situations. And you know, South Carolina is not amazingly different there uh, than than Florida in that regard. Um, but uh, yeah, funny at times, moving at times. Uh, I liked it. I, I really liked it. I hadn't seen. Um, Tangerine, yeah. so I didn't have a, a preconceived. I didn't, I didn't know what this guy is. Or female, male director, uh, a male, male director. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't know what his. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Sean Baker. Uh, mo- Sean Baker. Yeah, I didn't know what his modus operandi was, but um, uh, I want to seek out Tangerine and watch it now. Um, yeah, I mean, the gimmick to Tangerine, just for those that don't know, is that uh, it was shot completely with an iPhone. Um, which was very groundbreaking, and it's it's a decent movie. Like it's, you know, if if no one said, if no one pointed it out, like it is. There are some shots that are like, really, like why is it? That's kind of weird cinematography, but uh, that is the deal with it. Is that it was shot on, I forget which model, but it was a shot on an iPhone and uh, just sort of a, a proof of concept that anybody can make a movie these days like like everyone has the tools to make movies i guess not everyone can make one but everyone has the tools (laughs) um to make one yeah i saw that soderbergh movie that he shot on an iphone um the unsane i think it was um and that looked great there is one shot in this movie that was shot on an iphone um if you can guess what it is (laughs) I'll have to get back to you. It was the last one. Yeah, it's it's the shot oh. inside Disney oh, World. Oh, yeah, that makes they sense. They did that without yeah, yeah, permission yeah. or the knowledge of the park. So Right, yeah. right, right. Clearly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. I, I read a little article before it and didn't... I never made the connection that all the things the girl was doing were um, were replacements for different rides and attractions in the park. Um, yeah, the Florida Project is the code name for Walt Disney World, right? So yeah, that. it's heavily there's heavy connections in there, and I think Zach is our resident Disney file, so he might have more <laughs> to say about that. Um, so Zach, why don't you give us your review? Yeah, I uh, so oh my god, I've been, <laughs> I've been taking days to process this film. Um, I have so I probably have more than time more to say about this than time we have for this. Um, I liked it. I really enjoyed it. I have problems with it, but I thought it was really well done. I loved the cinematography. I loved the sort of like day in the life situations. Um, I thought the children definitely resonated with me. Like my childhood was felt there to some capacity. I did not like the ending. Um, I think the ending was my biggest issue with it. Um, and I can get into that later if need be, but it's very emotional based, uh, in terms of like the circumstances and whatnot, but yeah, it really struck a chord with me. And, um, I, I think that everyone did a really good job with it, just with the capacity of, of the content and what it was, um, and uh, I actually didn't know that uh, about the Disney ride uh, replacement situation, <clears throat> which makes me want to kind of go back and rewatch it and sort of look at that. 
Um, it's funny too, because just recently I watched like the 10 best rides at Disney because um, my wife and I really want to go to Disneyland when it opens back up because we haven't gone yet. And so we were watching like YouTube videos of like going through rides and stuff like that because um, I do love me some Disney. Uh, but yeah, I think overall, like I'm so glad I finally watched this film and that it was recommended. But um, man, it's just a lot to process. It's so many levels of emotions that I I go through with it. So yeah. So what is your issue with the ending? Well, uh, it's I've been trying to figure out how to like talk about it. Um, I don't. I didn't like that it was a. It, it wasn't a happy ending, but they made it a happy ending. And I think that that's the Disney formula essentially is that it's everything's a happy ending, but like okay we know she's getting taken away from her mother uh she runs to her friend's house or not house room uh and she's like you're my best friend she's crying da 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 and then they then we're led to believe that they if they run to disney world which from where where they're at is a pretty far distance um that's a quite quite a journey for two little girls of that age then they thwarted Disney security and Disney lines got in and they're just sort of trudging around and it's like happy, happy, happy. And it's like this whole film is about sadness and, and just like the loss of hope and just so much despair. And then at the end, we're like led to believe that it's supposed to be okay. I think there's a lot of evidence that that is a fantasy sequence. And that's, that's, that's what, what I, I saw too. That's what I thought. That's why I was like, why didn't they give us a shot of them rolling away with her in a car, with her eyes closed? Like, why didn't they give us just a tiny something to signify that, right? Like, I don't like when I'm supposed to just, like, assume without – I don't know. Maybe I need it more on the nose for me personally, but, like – it bothered me too much, and therefore that's why I was like, it's got to be a fantasy. So, I mean, besides the things you already mentioned, right, which is they're not going to walk from – Kissimmee, Florida, all the way to Walt Disney World. They're not going to get through security. Like, none of that stuff's going to happen. <laughs> um, Jancy is not... She doesn't have that personality to just, like, take her hand yeah. and run off and do all of that kind of stuff. Um, the other things that make it fairly, um, fairly evident to me are that it's the only scene in the entire movie that has a score... Um, mm-hmm. I thought that was really significant. And then it's the only thing that's shot on an iPhone. And they sort of give, um, I don't know how much of it is the iPhone itself or that they had to shoot it guerrilla style or if they did some things in post with it. But that last scene, even if I didn't know that it was shot on an iPhone from reading trivia about the movie, I'd be like, there's some suspect stuff going on with how this is shot here. Like, it doesn't look as realistic. It doesn't have the same feel as the rest of what's going on. I think it was that even though the movie is um, really sad in what is being portrayed, the way everything is portrayed is, like, as happy as possible. It's always, like, this upbeat, you know, kid's perspective. She doesn't know what's going on around her. Um, She's... She's uh, uh, unaware of how bad her situation really is. And so 
the scenes are funny, the scenes are positive, the scenes are upbeat. But as the you know, watching it as an adult, you're thinking, you know, oh no, these are these are terrible things that are going on. Um, so I, I think that was the that was sort of the the modus of ending it the way it, it the way it ended, rather than um, just kicking in the balls. Because um, the I mean, the ending of the movie is that she's taken away by family services right. um, and the rest of it. Like, even if that were real, even if they did run and get there, like that doesn't change anything. Of course not. Yeah. I just, I it just, that that's just the only little thing in terms of the whole thing that really got to me in terms of like, the, I was like, no at the end, but also, I don't know. Something you said, Dale is like that, you know, she's not aware of what's going on around her. And I don't know if I necessarily feel the same way. Because I didn't have sympathy for the little girl at the end of the film. I I didn't feel any emotions that were like sympathetic towards her her or her situation. And I don't know if it's maybe because of my history or what of what I had to live through when I was a kid, um, or just like my understanding of what I thought the characters were going through. So I'm kind of curious uh, to hear what everybody else has to say about this kind of stuff because I have I think I have different feelings about certain characters in the film than my, other people might have. I mean, just how how uh, guilty is a six-year-old girl for anything that's happening in her I life? I understand. I get that. I understand that in terms of innocence and the youth and things like that. But I felt as if her mother, she was she was emulating her mother in so many ways that it, you know she's looking for different role models and a way of life. And I I think she did have a little bit more. Uh, ability to see things like she was a hustler she learned that from her mother she hustled to get the ice cream she hustled to get her way out of things she hustled her way to get into things but that's and she learned it from her mom that's like survival entertainment like that's her whole world yeah she's only six so she doesn't know any other way and that's part of the tragedy of it and i think that's i think why the ending not the ending itself at disney but her emotional reaction when she is crying that's that's the moment when she stops being an innocent kid stops thinking this is just normal and it's fine that's the moment you see this kid break and she's no longer a kid because she i mean she didn't i don't think she did understand she she knew that as normal um they had been surviving that way for so long she she hasn't had any role, role models anyone positive to show her the way you can do things, you know, she just had Haley's influence. And so that ending to me I just, but, is her breaking. But I don't agree though, because she's the influence. She's the one that influenced most of the bad behaviors for all the other kids throughout the film. Right. She has terrible role models. And like, I'm not disagreeing that she emulates her mom and that she, is does nothing but bad behavior for the entire movie. Like it, it's a hundred percent bad behavior. Um, to the, I mean, to the point where like you wonder about the casting process and the process of filming the movie, you know, <laughs> sure. Because, uh, yeah, right. I mean, for the, for this whole movie to work and it's a miracle that it does work. Like most of the stuff with the kids is improv. They're, they're not going off of a script. So, you know, it's sort of indicative uh, in how short every scene is. Every scene is like 
40 to 60 seconds, like, and then it's on to the next thing, like, with the kids. They're always really short, but it's like whatever the gold was and what they were doing in that particular scene, that's what they capture, and then they move on to the next thing. Um, but, like, you know, <laughs> you, you don't you don't blame a six-year-old for her circumstances and her her <sighs> behavior. I don't know. It's tough for me. It's tough well, for me. I can't, I feel I came from that so neighborhood. Young. So like, I don't know if she's necessarily um, totally responsible for her behavior in that. I do think she's kind of emulating what she sees. But at the same time, I I would lean towards thinking that she is somewhat aware of her situation and what's happening. I mean, I think like that last scene of her in the bathtub when uh, the guy walks in, you can tell she knows something's screwed up, like what's going on. Um, I think there's a few other instances where, you know, she knows something's gone on with uh, her, her former best friend downstairs. She's not sure what's going on there. She knows her mom has something to do with it in some ways, too. The relationship between the two families uh, that live, you know, upstairs and downstairs from each other. So I think she knows there's something up. I don't think she's totally uh, innocent to all the details of of her life and her mom's life sure. and kind of what's going but on. But like with she that. doesn't understand why they don't stop and get all the perfume off the parking lot floor. Sure. Right. Like she doesn't get that they're doing something wrong in those yeah. scenes. Um, so yeah, and know. at her age, she hasn't been in school because there was the discussion where the kids are talking about school. She hasn't been sent to school, so she hasn't had that influence. Her only influence has been Haley, who is basically like a teenage sister more so than a mom yeah. so she hasn't had mm-hmm. a motherly role because Haley doesn't know how to be anything other than like you know early teenager based on her behavior that's she's very you know she's in a state of arrested development and in some ways you know and I think and I and I get where you're coming from too Zach especially if you as you said come from that kind of background you know you can you can kind of come out one of two ways you're the kid who is mature and who grows from it or you're the kid who just picks up and follows that path but at six yep that's just you're such a baby still at six yeah you know and i i can kind of relate on some level zach to what you're saying so i i get that but i think you know you can you can go a couple of different paths and she didn't have anything out. I mean, she didn't have school. She didn't have outside influence. Bobby really is the only positive influence there is. And you can see his weariness and his frustration. He wants to help these kids, but he's probably seen a million kids like this. He's seen a million Haley's, which is why yeah. he's so weary, because he knows this is a, a pattern that's going to keep going more than likely. Well, and by comparison, like Ashley is a better mom and role model than Haley is. Yep. You know, and she's barely scraping by, but at least she's, you know, fairly honest with what she's doing. She holds down a job, um, that sort of stuff. But, um, I mean, as a parent, like, you know, I've had two kids, um, grow older than six years old and, you know, up to like age five or so, they're still really like babies. And six is about the age when they start having some, um, some some real like not just independence but that's the point where they sort of they can manifest their personality and they can sort of hold their own 
for a period of time. It's like that's the age when it's believable that she would be running the streets with her friends, but that's like the the bare minimum <clears throat> age of that. Like if she were a five year old, I'd be like, whoa! Like there's no way that a five year old's running around doing all of this stuff. She wouldn't be confident enough. For sure. So six is like this this yeah. turning point where she's just starting to get, you know, that there's real world consequences to things and that there's, you know, the the world outside of her immediate family is um is is not all all great <laughs> all the time. <laughs> yeah. Um Nathan, what about you? What was your <laughs> thought about watching well, it I've been just, I've been, I quite frankly I've been enjoying listening to everybody talk about it because it's it's helped me suss out my own feelings about it um you know when this when this came out I honestly thought it was maybe the best movie I saw that year and I don't remember what else oh, yeah. came out this year this year um I remember going into the Oscars thinking you know if this doesn't at least get a nod I'm gonna be pretty much disappointed because I, I really felt like this one was one of the more noteworthy and groundbreaking films that I saw of the year. I think there's a lot of really wonderful film making tricks in it. Quite frankly, I think it's a great movie to watch to like learn how to do things. One, we, we already kind of talked about, or you guys already talked about one of my favorite pieces of it. And it hit, it struck me totally again the second time when I was watching it. Cause I completely had forgotten about it. And it, it, it's a really perfect example of what he's the director's trying to do as far as give you the kids perspective and only the kids perspective which is those bathtub scenes you see like two or three of them in a row almost and it doesn't necessarily i mean maybe if you're really paying attention but it doesn't give you too much to go on on what's happening why you're seeing her listening to music in the bathtub and playing with her toys brushing her doll's hair blah 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 until you get just enough information at that last little bit to kind of figure out that, oh, this is her memory of that time, what it was like when someone walked into her and what that, it started clicking with her, what was going on, why she was in the bathtub with all that loud music. And yeah, I think it also lulls the viewer up. into a false sense of security that they show her in there yeah. so many times. And it's like, oh, this is normal. She, she hangs out in the bathtub by herself. And then that last time they show it, it's like, oh, there, there's a reason yeah, for you, this. You, you don't get a lot of the adults, um, but I, I think what you see as a perspective of the adults in the movie is strictly the caricature that she would remember as a kid in that, you know, Willem Dafoe is definitely the kind of the Boy Scout father figure that she had when she was that young, probably the only one she had that was uh, a responsible adult. Um, the other mom was... Uh, the one in the restaurant, she had some responsibility that she was doing a little bit better, but you know, I'm sure she saw the mom beat up with her face all messed up like that and probably had some suspicion of where that came from. So, I mean, I feel like it's a really well-made film. Like I, I, I think I had forgotten how well it was made until I watched it again, quite frankly. Like I had memories of like different pieces and parts of it, especially like I actually really liked the Disneyland shot personally, but I had memories of certain parts of it, but as a whole, like the whole thing, there's just so many ideas going on in this movie that it's a pleasure to watch. So, it's so that, bright that, that's kind pretty. of my take on it. Yeah. I mean, the colors are amazing. It's, it's just like a, a kid would remember it. You know, he doesn't focus on 
the the junk he focuses on the beautiful pink purple walls and the the fancy bricks and the giant orange you know uh whatever that is we'll call it the orange orange world I orange think. world i mean yeah. the giant yeah, orange yeah. i mean that's the crap a kid would remember you know and uh, the giant tree that's like almost like a dream tree that they're in that that willow tree with the giant logs yeah so early I, on I when just there's all those like, like wide angle shots of them walking across like the wizard gift shop or whatever and like all yeah. of that stuff is just really really colorful yeah. and like everything pops in the movie yeah i i have a hard time finding I a fault jump with this in- movie at all I just want to jump in real quick. And I, I, again, I think this is where like I come from it from a t- totally different angle or perspective because I want to talk about this bathroom scene. Okay. Sure. Um, my, <laughs> my mother did, did not do what her mother did, but I lived that bathroom scene. My mother had boyfriends come over and it was bath time for Zach and yeah. there were sounds being heard and made. And so it's to me, it's tricks in a very crazy emotional chord where like I knew what was going on and I was about that age. And so see where I'm see like I'm coming from a very different emotional place than I think most people do when they watch this film, you know? Like I remember the stuff that happened to me when I was that age <laughs> in that capacity. Yeah, I get it. So I'm guessing that she should too. <laughs> I get it. I think she I think she's a little just a little bit more um and and it it what's that oblivious yeah a little bit more oblivious um than than you're making her out to be um but also that so much of these things that we see as you know oh my gods or you know these th- these things that are revealed to the the audience are so normal for her this has been going on since before she had memory. So, you know, she doesn't remember that this has been happening since she was three or that her mom had a boyfriend when she was two that beat the crap out of her or whatever the case was, you know, however she ended up in the hotel with a, as a single mom with a kid and no way to support them and all that. So. Yeah, I know. I'm just, I'm just trying to relate from my perspective of it. Cause I feel like I'm, such a I'm the I'm the asshole in this whole situation. No, I don't <laughs> think I don't think whole other like I I had a whole other sit like life. I'm not discounting your when I was a kid uh, your your perspective on it at all. I'm just saying yeah. like I think this character in this movie um is is not quite as I don't know what you would call it streetwise as you savvy as your as you're making her out to be. I think she's on the cusp of a lot of that stuff. And I'm, I think that like by the end of the movie, maybe she's got it all put together, but like 99% of what she does is just emulating mom. That's, that's what she does. Mm-hmm. Like there's that scene early on where they're all just like flipping off the helicopter for <laughs> no reason. <laughs> it's like, okay, great parenting. That's what we do. We just sit here and yeah. flip off the helicopter. So do um, we want to talk about the fire? Well, and the choice for them not to see the fire. I don't think until I it's like a smoke thing way far away. We can talk about it. Um, but I wanted to specifically, we still haven't gotten to Alicia or Brooke. So, 
I'll let Alicia go first because it's Brooke's suggestion. Um, what did you think of the movie? Well, I I really like this movie a lot. I, I also had seen it before, but it had been a while. And so I also was observing a lot more things about it. Um, I also really enjoyed the cinematography and the color. But, you know, here as Nathan's talking about, you see the big orange world and, you know, like the wizard gift shop. I think what I also really liked about that is it shows this whole kitschy, almost kind of seedy other world of Disney where you have all these cheap motels that are kind of playing off of the Disney theme. And, you know, I've, I've been to Florida many times. I've been to Disney World many times. I remember driving by gift shops like the Wizard Wizarding World gift shop or whatever. And, you know, and I think to myself when I'm there and also when I'm watching this movie, like, how are they irking out a living? You know, there's so many of these little shops everywhere. There's just, I guess, that many tourists that they can make it. But I don't think I'd really realized... Um, you know, I, I all these hotels that are around Disney and other places like this and other places even in our own towns where you just have people taking up residence there. And I don't think I realized it was such uh, an enormous um, regular thing for so many people, uh, you know, and, and so I think it was an interesting perspective anyway to think about that as like a big apartment complex for these people and what that's like and with the surroundings that they have, the kind of environment they have. So... Um, I also, of course, loved Willem Dafoe. I always love Willem Dafoe. I always think he plays these amazing roles. And uh, a lot of them are, are, you know, he plays big roles. I've seen him in a lot of big roles. But he also plays really great understated people like Bobby, who's who's just trying to run a hotel and just trying to do his thing and is just exasperated by everything happening around him, but also the glue that holds it all together. So um, I thought he did a great job with it. And, yeah, the kids are amazing. I, as a teacher they're driving me crazy and I'm, <laughs> right. they're driving everybody crazy, but I think about them in my class and, and that drives me crazy. But um, I, you know, they're amazing. The kids they found to do this and especially obviously the, the main girl, she's just outstanding. Yeah. It's interesting. Uh, I, I wondered about this both times I watched, cause I watched the movie originally uh, when it was released and the second time for the podcast. And I wondered about, the you know perspective or protagonist angle of the movie in that it weirdly shifts between like it's all about the little girl except when it's about Willem Dafoe and that always seemed odd to me um, but I looked into it and originally Willem Dafoe was supposed to have a brother in the movie um, that's how they had written it and so it was it was going to be more of a ensemble sort of an idea and when they got what they got with the kids. Um, they thought that the mother-daughter relationship was way stronger and they wanted to focus more on that. So the only remnants of him having a brother in the movie are the scenes with his son, who's the guy that helps him move the bed bug infested bed and the, um, the broken ice machine or whatever. So it is this really weird um, thing where just like every once in a while for no reason, it seems like we just go to, we follow Willem Dafoe for a scene or two. Um, you know, he does that whole, uh, no harm, no foul thing with the birds. And like, that's just mm -hmm. in the movie. Like Mooney has no part in that scene. You know, there's, there's <laughs> chases lots of off the of pedophile. Stuff. What'd you say? Yeah, I think Willem Ch chases off the pedophile. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Great scene. Yeah. Like, Oh, you want I a soda? Okay. Let's go get a soda. <laughs> <laughs> that was a great scene. See, I think Willem Dafoe's character is kind of like a, secondary protagonist that the movie really needed because it helps like 
it, like Josh was kind of saying at the, on the onset that, you know, he had trouble like connecting with anybody in the movie because there was nobody to like. And I think nobody's he's kind of your, in the movie. Nobody normal, right? And so I think he's kind of your vessel to get into the world. But then ultimately, if you watch it, I think anybody can relate to that little girl, at least from some per- perspective of like remembering the world with those rose tinted glasses, but then kind of having that moment of recognizing that, oh, life is a lot harder than I maybe realized and, and having to go through that transformation. But William Defoe is the one that gets you in there. Yeah. Um, and so I think that's why he's so important. Yeah. He's, he's the, without being like a complete, like goody two shoes, perfect guy character. He's just, he's just like the, the quiet voice of reason in the movie. And that that's it. He's he's not asking for the world. He's not asking for people to change. He's just like you can't you can't crap on the floor in the bathroom. You gotta <laughs> go in the vessel that the crap is supposed to go in. Like he's he's just there, like keeping people in the lines, like just a little bit more, nudging them um, ever so slightly. So yeah, I think all that works. And yeah, I do enjoy watching. Willem Dafoe as well and everything. So, um, I want to see Brooke. a version of this where Willem. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Brooke. Oh, well, I was going to say I want to see a version of this where <laughs> this is Cinderella, and Cinderella is a really poorly behaved brat, and Willem Dafoe is the fairy godmother who comes in and just kind of like rolls his eyes at everything, but still hands her an extra five bucks to go get the candy. <laughs> What the hell, kid? <laughs> Jesus. Put your top back on, Cinderella, yeah. when you're by the pool. <laughs> well, as, as um, become tradition on this show, Brooke, uh, what the hell? Why did we watch this movie? What, what the hell? You know, I got to say, Zach, Zach's response has me feeling a little bit, like a little bit in my emotions. It's just kind of... Um, it's really telling our Sorry. reactions to this. No, it's. I mean, it's a good thing, I guess, but um, it, it really shows how what you see represented in film, if you can, you know, relate to it, the different emotional impact. Because I've really had trouble thinking, how do I process what it is I love about this movie, why I chose it, and I kind of have the same kind of struggle that Zach mentioned as far as putting it into words and expressing why, you know, how I processed it, the impact, all that. Um, because there's parts of it that I could probably kind of relate to if I really got down to it. And um, first off, I actually lived in Orlando in my, well, I think I moved there when I was 19. Um, and I very much remember that contrast of this public perception of Disney World and then the seedy underbelly where you see in a lot of areas just the sadness, the seediness, the the kids running around just like these kids, the moms running around just like Haley. And I, I was in a place in my life where I think when I look at this movie... Uh, one step in a different direction, I could have been very similar to Haley. I was kind of at that point in my life, I was kind of teetering where I could have gone that way. So I not maybe to that extent, but I could see some of my young self as a young mom. Um, I could see some of myself in that where I also could see some of myself in, uh, in Mooney. Uh, And I think I, I have had, like I said, such a struggle 
like I, I love the movie for what it is. As a film fan, I think it's really, really well done. It's different uh, in the way that it's, you know, the bright colors and all this cheery stuff with this sad story. At the same time, it's just such a contrast in the emotions. Um, but I think uh, just the emotional impact of, of seeing this kid right as she's just right on the ledge where she could kind of go either way, you know, as a, as a kid, and she's about to get pushed into... Um, into where she has to deal with reality. She can't cover her ears and just be a kid anymore because her life is changing in this moment. Um, and, you know, and I, and I feel for, of course, that character. I personally don't feel that she bears the responsibility for her actions. But again, that's based on perception and experience, like with Zach. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I feel... Um, yeah, Haley's an unfit mom, but what is fit? And isn't she just trying to survive? And what do you do when that's all you have? Uh, just it, it hits on so many different levels. And I think the performances are just, I couldn't stop thinking the scene where Mooney's crying at the end. Yeah. Like, what did they say to this child actor to get her to have that level of emotion? Because that is... I mean, they either said something like they, they kicked her puppy in front of her or something because for her to have that level of a reaction, I mean, that wasn't actory. That wasn't forced. That felt so real. You know, you go seeing her just being a kid, normal kid, like you said, most of it improv and you can feel that. It feels so genuine. And then when she takes that twist and just is, is breaking down crying, how did they get that kind of performance from a six-year-old actor? Yeah, and of course Defoe is phenomenal. I mean, he's that's this is my favorite performance of his. He's just weary, but he cares about these kids, and he, you can just sense this character's just heartache that he's seen so many people like this come through that motel because that's what. I mean, no offense to a lot of Orlando, it's got some great places, but a lot of that part of Orlando is a lot of people in that same situation. Yeah. The the crying I when I saw that again um, this time um, both of the little girls in the scene do this sort of uh, method thing where they they forcibly hyperventilate like it's an unnatural they just sort of do this <laughs> thing right before they start like doing the crying part um, which is something that helps with that um, and I, I but I also think that she you know they told her to think about what it would be like if you never saw your brother again sort of thing. Like that's, that was kind of the read of it that I had, but I, it, you brought up something that um, goes to a subject that I wanted to talk about and you're more expert on this than me, but um, what's it like living in Orlando? You know, it's weird. I was, I was so young and it was, I don't want to talk about how many years ago, but it was a lot of years ago. Uh it was this weird mix because it was for a very short time. Um, it's this weird mix of like, it really is like the magic of Disney is kind of surrounding it, but you also have this ickiness the whole time too. You know, I mean, that's the reality of you feel like it's, it's all so fake. Um, yeah. Because the reality is just the sadness that just seeps into your pores. I really, really dislike most of florida 
um, Central Florida and Miami in particular. <laughs> um, I, I had uh, a couple of times when I was actually about the same age, oddly enough, um, I had a bunch of work trips where I had to go and, you know, I was put up at like the company's um, condo and I had to do a bunch of computer installation during the day. But then I had like a weekend there and that was supposed to be fun for me. Like I was supposed to enjoy myself (laughs) in Orlando. Um, I was too young to drink and too old to care about Disney World at all. Everything shuts down at like 10 p.m. um, And the weather's miserable. It's it's a horrible place to be. Um, I uh, <laughs> I I I thought of this while I was while I was watching the movie uh, in both both cases, and I actually time stamped it this time. We go an hour and twenty five minutes into a movie set in Central Florida before we see it rain. <laughs> yeah, that's not realistic at all. I, know. I noticed that too. I was like, well, this is the first time it rained. Because it rains every day in Orlando. Um, there is a thunderstorm yeah, that rolls through much. for about half an hour every day. Um, and it's actually nice because it breaks the heat for a few minutes and you have that. But uh, I thought that was interesting that they they really held off until the last act for rain to be there. Um, there's the shots of Haley watching Ashley with her completely beat up face. Um, walk to work while it's raining. Um, they have a scene out by the the big weeping willow or whatever it is that's the big ass tree that somebody mentioned earlier. They they talked about watching the news, and she's like, "I never watch the news." And the other girl's like, "I watch the news. It's not that boring." Yeah. It's like you don't have to watch the news to know that it rains in Orlando. You just have to be in Orlando for more than twenty four hours. It'll happen. Um, so I thought that yeah. was funny um, that they they held off on that. And it also shows like, you know, in this candy colored, brightly lit um, children's perspective of what it's like to be there. You know, you don't remember the thunderstorms. But as an adult, it's like, oh, fuck again. Like I have to pull over. I can't drive in this, you know, nightmare that's coming down. And then um, it goes away and um and then uh, deeply discussing all-star Macon Blair shows up as the John uh, who got all his wristbands stolen. So uh, I love how connected all of our movies are so far. Like we've, we're seeing people from other movies just with little cameos in other movies. It's a great, great time. It's hilarious. Um, I wrote down there. There were so many. There's so many great, hilarious lines in this movie. Um, I wrote down a few of my favorites. The first time that we see Mooney in the movie, she's wearing a T-shirt that says, I decided to be awesome today. <laughs> um, I thought that was awesome. Uh, when they take Chansey to get uh, ice cream for the first time, she's like licking the ice cream, and Mooney's like, get that lick, girl. <laughs> um, <laughs> that kicked, that just killed me. Uh. Um uh, Ashley says to Haley, if Scooty was ever in the room while you were whoring off, and that's when she gets beat up. Um, and then uh, at the end, uh, they're like, when they're like basically stealing the buffet, she says, I'm going to have a strawberry and a raspberry at the same time. 
man, oh man, that's gross. <laughs> you know, to that part, I read I read an interview yesterday because I just wanted to try to read up more on the little girl and, and Willem Dafoe and how they work together. But I did read that they just had her improvise for 20 minutes during that brunch scene. It was just mm-hmm. her camera on her and just cut together the funny stuff she said on her own, completely unscripted. So I thought that was that was funny. There's a really good um, Willem Dafoe interview on Fresh Air where he talks a fair amount about this movie. It's worth it's worth digging up if you're interested. Yeah, I know he went and lived there for like two weeks or something before they started filming, yeah. just to kind of get in the he character. He basically became his character for a little bit. Yeah, that's something he kind of does on most of his movies, if he can. Um, so yeah, I thought that was all. That was all great. My, my favorite shot in the movie, just as a, like, this was a cool idea that somebody had and they put it in there. Um, it's kind of a blink and you'll miss it moment is there's a, there's just this shot. It's another one of these, like Willem Dafoe just kind of shows up for a 30 second scene and then he's gone again. There's a shot of him just sort of like taking a break. He's on the second floor. He lights a cigarette. And as soon as he lights the cigarette, all the exterior lights on the hotel light up. It's just this really cool, like, all the lights are on now. Yeah, there were some great wide shots. I loved all of the shots of the hotel. That's a huge hotel. That Magic Castle Hotel was, like, massive. Um, But, yeah, there were some really fun moments. I I feel like, too, I started off so hot. But, like, I really (laughs) did love this movie. Like, I, 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 I really, really did. Like, despite my feelings and emotions and everything, like, it's a well done film and everyone should watch it because there are more people living like this in the United States and around the world than people know, that people really understand, you know? Um, And it's just a true insight to why the system is so broken and what it produces. And you're right. Children are victims of, of a lot of this stuff there. It's hard to hold them accountable for any of their actions. Um, and I'm a product of that, you know, and I, luckily I was able to, my family was able to move forward with it and become better people out of it and make something with ourselves and, and, you know, try not to keep the cycle going. So, in that capacity, the message that it sends to me is it's infinite. It's it's a beautiful film. It's sad. It's tragic. But it's ultimately wonderful and beautiful. Alicia, it's your cool. time to choose a movie. What would you like us to watch? Okay. Well, I was making a short list, which became kind of a rather long list. And I was trying to think of some uh, good stuff for us to talk about. And uh, I think what I'm going to go with is uh, The Road to Perdition. It's been a movie I have okay. not seen for a while. I uh, would like to revisit, and I think it's got a lot of good stuff to talk about. And, uh, you know, is one I think people might remember vaguely, but uh, it might be one that uh, has some good themes and some good things now in retrospect to look at. So that's my pick. Sounds good. Cool. Well, that's it for us. Um, we will see you next time. This is the Deeply Disgusting Movie Podcast.